Welcome to the Denver United podcast series on leadership in every season. Our hope is to equip you to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our city. Hello, Denver United, and welcome to the first in our podcast series on leadership during difficult times. I'm joined by one of our church leaders, Dr. David Cameron, who uh, is a leader at Denver United, uh, is a leader in the medical field, and um, is a good friend. And we're wanting to uh, frame the times that we find ourselves in with some information about um, coronavirus, COVID-19, the disease that comes from it, and and, uh, what we're facing. The idea here is that uh, Jesus' people, Dave, are, are made to shine in hard times. Throughout history, the people of God have risen up during times of opposition and oppression and, and suffering, uh, pestilence and otherwise, and shine the light into the darkness and elevated uh, the public discourse. And so what we want to do is equip you to lead in your spaces, at work, in your neighborhood, on the sidelines of your kids' soccer teams. As people's conversations are devolving into fear and panic, we want to share with you uh, some some facts and some perspective that will help inform those conversations in positive and helpful and hopeful ways. So Dave, welcome, and thanks for taking time in the midst of what has to be an extra demanding season for you. Yes, uh, thanks for having me uh, uh, with you today. I, I think one of the things, as a Christian physician, I think it's really important for me to always keep in mind that that we are here to live by faith. Uh, we trust in God, but really the principles that I have been thinking about over the last several weeks is that we're here to be really good stewards of what God has given us, uh, but we're here to also take care of one another uh, and also be prudent, uh, to be smart. And God give us our, our smarts for a reason, and we're here to use those. So anyways, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this this new outbreak uh, that we're all walking through together. This is new for all of us. Um, and uh, looking forward to, to having a conversation with you. Okay, so I want to give you all just a, a touch of context for Dave. Uh, we have been friends since our college days when, as I've shared with you all in services, during uh, my formative years of following Jesus, Dave was a couple of years older and in our Christian fellowship took me under his wing. And at that time, you know, that two-year gap was a big age difference. And and your being a big brother to me and, and discipling me, uh, I think is as is, is much attributable to my being here doing what I do as anything. So thank you, by the way. Uh, and I've learned not only to love Dave over the years, that's easy, but to respect you for the balance of spirit and truth that you bring to your work and, and to, your, uh, to your leadership in our community. And so um, Dave serves as a medical director in his company and in his field, which means that not only, Dave, do you treat patients, but you lead doctors and leaders. And so helping equip um, people to, to not only understand what's going on, but to think and be the right ways uh, in this space is part of what you do. And, and it's what you've done for me. We had breakfast on Thursday of last week, uh, as we do regularly. And, and our conversation, of course, like all of yours in these days, uh, dr- quickly gravitated to um, coronavirus at, at all. And uh, you shared such helpful and hopeful and clear perspective that 
um, that this this conversation idea was born. So Dave, perhaps we could start with just your coaching us and giving us a little perspective on uh, coronavirus. Um, some of us have been reading the technical journals. Lots of us are getting our information from the public square, the water cooler, or, or Instagram. Uh, and then there's all kinds of stuff out there. Can you help us cut through the static and sort of know where we are in space and time and what we're facing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, the things that we first need to do is to avoid the extremes. Uh, we're seeing some people that are very anxious and are, uh, are panicking uh, and are making uh, some pretty extreme decisions, whereas some other people uh, are taking the opposite approach and being more on the cavalier side. Uh, and I think... Uh, if we are going to be those that live by faith, but yet also prudent, I think that we're going to be walking more of a middle of the road. Uh, and one of the things, I think, just to make sure that we're all on the same page is just to take a look at some of kind of the definitions uh, and the facts. And so some people ask, well, what is a pandemic? Um, and a pandemic is an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographical area that affects an exceptionally high proportion of the population. Uh, okay. and, the, and the World Health Organization just declared that this is a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, now, pandemics, we experience a pandemic every year. Uh, there is a flu pandemic uh, and a cold, our upper respiratory uh, pandemic every year uh, because it uh, goes through many different countries uh, and we're not able to contain it. Uh, however, in the spring and the summer, it tends to die off and then it comes back again. Now, uh, the COVID-19 or the coronavirus, it is one of the cold viruses. So many people have already had uh, one of the strains of coronavirus sometime in their life. Uh, and most of the time, upper respiratory infections are fairly mild. Uh, and it's spread by contact, meaning that if you touch someone else's hand that has coronavirus and you touch your eyes, nose, or mouth, you can get it by contact that way. Uh, also, you can get it by droplet, which means if someone coughs or sneezes, it actually can travel several feet, up into about six to, to six to ten feet is what uh, they're saying with this. Uh, and uh, those droplets, those can land uh, uh, around your nose and mouth, and you can get it that way. Can I jump in and ask one sure. further question yeah. on the transmission subject? Um, there's a lot of different um, thoughts right now about life on surface. Uh, and my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, our medical community does not yet know certainly how long uh, corona, this strain of coronavirus lives on a surface. It lives on some surfaces longer than others, but uh, up to a certain amount of time. How should we be thinking about that? Because that's where people kind of our freak out factor uh, multiplies is no one wants to touch anything. We're, we're disinfecting the heck out of all of our all of our uh, environments. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we don't know. Um, we see the reports that it's somewhere between two and 10 days. Uh, and will that be different depending on the temperature? Uh, I think we'll be getting more information about that. That being said is I think probably erring on precaution uh, and wiping down with those Clorox wipes uh, the areas with higher traffic uh, does make sense, especially if people are sick. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, a pandemic, you've kind of put in perspective for us, uh, a lot of the fear that I've detected comes from uh, the perspective of historically awful pandemics. Right. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of talk about the Black Plague and swine flu and things like that. Can you put 
COVID-19, the disease that comes, as I understand, from the coronavirus. COVID, Corona, CO, virus, VI, disease D-19. So it's it's the coronavirus disease 19 reflecting, as you said, the fact that there are, are many coronavirus strains. This is the coronavirus strain 19 disease. And, right. Uh, so COVID-19 relative to other uh, deadly pandemics in history that have... Uh, in the movies or or in in reality, caused so much justifiable fear. That's right. I think uh, with pandemics, there's going to be different uh, effects on populations. Uh, and so one of the things that we may not know is that we have usually ten to twenty thousand um, people in the United States that die from the flu every year. Uh, and wow. and and currently, we have you know over five thousand deaths from the coronavirus worldwide. And so just to put into perspective, now, you know, that's rising and we're not sure where that's going to end. Um, but when you take a look at some of uh, the other pandemics that have happened in world history where there have been millions of people that have died, uh, we're still a far uh, cry uh, from that. And so what we want to do is we want to try and prevent it from getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let that, that's a great segue into the next segment of our conversation. Let's talk about what we, uh, as, as people, as citizens of, of the state of Colorado and as the people of God, uh, ought to be thinking about with regard to how we respond to this pandemic. On the one extreme, as you highlighted, there is the, um, the doomsday prepper mindset that's, uh, that's buying up all the toilet paper out of Costco. Yeah. Um, and if that's you... I just want you to know that if you've bought 100 packs of toilet paper and stuffed your garage full of them, uh, we may be coming for you. Those of us who need one pack. Well, you spare <laughs> so, a square. Right. Please, <laughs> hook a brother up. But there's on the one end, the doomsday prepper, build a bomb shelter and, and line your garage with, with hundreds of packs of toilet paper. And then on the other hand, there's the sort of uh, cavalier... Uh, mindset that either either chalks this up to conspiracy or politicizes it or or kind of um, buries their head in the sand. So we're wanting to find the appropriate middle ground, as you alluded to in, in discussing the science of of coronavirus. So responses uh, at, at, by this time um, we will have had our first um, online worship service. We're broadcasting live. This will be a, a, a fun experiment. We're recording this just before that. And then by the time you all hear this, we'll have done it. Hopefully it went great. Um, we made that decision because of the rapidly evolving uh, culture and political climate and recommendations set from governing officials and the Centers for Disease Control. Um, where are we now with regard to containment and social response? Yeah, that's right. Well, I think one of the things that we're learning about coronavirus is um, it is a respiratory virus. It's giving us symptom. It's giving patients symptoms of fevers, uh, shortness of breath, and cough primarily. Um, and we're finding that that this strain is more virulent or it's more deadly than the normal cold virus that we're getting. And so. Um, and so that being said is, is that the populations that is really having a, a difficult time are, are those that are our seniors, uh, those that have uh, chronic medical conditions like diabetes, lung, heart problems, chronic kidney disease, uh, and people that smoke cigarettes. Uh, and so if you take a look at uh, 100, uh, 100 people that get the coronavirus, 80 are going to have mild symptoms. 20 will need to be hospitalized and may need some oxygen and some additional support. And about five uh, are going to need uh, the ICU and need 
some help like with a ventilator to help with the breathing. Uh, so that being said, is it's, that, that's a higher rate uh, than with a normal upper respiratory infection. And so I think because of that, we need to be more vigilant in trying to do our part to try to help those people, uh, that population that is more susceptible. And so, um, uh, so we've definitely found um, that there are some things that we can be thinking about. Uh, one, we can try to do our best to, to stay healthy by washing our hands. Uh, to be, um, This is the hard one, is to avoid touching your face, nose, and mouth. I, so I, hard. I, I just have a hard time with that. Um, and, uh, and if you are sick, uh, to stay home. Now, this whole concept of social distancing or staying away uh, from other people, uh, we've definitely seen that uh, the NBA, the NCAA has made some uh, big changes at the Olympics. Lots of conferences are, are canceling their, their conferences because they're trying to implement this this principle of social distancing. Uh, and the rationale for it is so that we can be able to flatten the curve. And what I mean by flatten the curve is, is if a lot of people get sick all at the same time and they all go to the hospital, they may overwhelm our hospitals. We may run out of ventilators. And in some, some countries, we've had some places where they've had to make some tough decisions on who they're going to give the ventilators to. Uh, and in some of those places, that's where they have higher mortality rates. More people die because of a lack of resources. And okay, can I jump in real quick sure. on this? Um, we're going to come back to the concept of social distancing that you that you referred to. Talking now about the flattening of the curve. Um, do I understand you correctly? And should we understand you to be saying that that the consensus in the medical community is that we're not trying to stop uh, this this pandemic at this point, but we're trying to manage or regulate its spread such that we don't overwhelm our care and testing capacity? I think we're doing both. I think okay. in communities where there's one and two cases, we are going to do our best to try to contain those, to identify any contacts, do, as, do our best job to be able to quarantine uh, and and to minimize that from spreading. Yeah, I was reading the news last <laughs> night and looking at the cases per state and briefly contemplated moving to North Dakota. And, or Wyoming would <laughs> right. be a nice spot. Yeah. <laughs> right, they only have uh -huh. one case. Uh -huh. They so, might actually stop uh -huh. it. Uh -huh. And then there's other locations uh, where they've already realized that they can't contain it. And so they have gone into what they call mitigation phase. Uh, and so that is where they're saying, hey, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have a treatment. Uh, this is spreading in the community already. So what are the things that we can do to be able to flatten the curve so that we don't have large spikes of people that are getting it all at the same time? And so what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to minimize a bunch of people getting together in large groups. Uh, and if people are meeting in smaller groups, then the chances of having a lot of people getting sick at the same time goes down. So the <clears throat> governor of Colorado, uh, as um, is the case in many other states at this point, and the Centers for Disease Control have asked community, uh, faith community leaders like me to consider suspending uh, large gatherings for a time. And that's what we've done. Uh, and so what we're, what I, what we're doing is putting that decision in context, the decision not to meet for our normal Sunday services when scripture teaches, don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. That decision isn't rooted in fear. It's rooted in uh, civic duty, really. That's in, right. in, in, 
your and others counsel that we be responsible. And Dave, I wanted to reflect and tell you, ask you, does this seem sensible? Uh, as, a, as a physician, there is a, a governing ethic that you and your peers submit to. Um, and it includes the so-called Hippocratic Oath that says something to the effect of, in your endeavor to help, first, do no harm. And insofar as we as Jesus's church also aim to help, to be uh, God's hand of redemption and restoration, hope and love in our city, in our efforts to help in Denver, first, do no harm. And it seems that uh, the gathering of hundreds of people during this initial phase of, of the pandemic's spread here in Colorado uh, has the potential to exacerbate that spread or increase the spike. And so we're aiming first to do no harm and equipping ourselves uh, to help in the short and long term. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, I, I think when I think about this, I think about my patients that are over 65 that uh, they may have diabetes or, or emphysema and think, how, what can we do to help protect them? How can I protect my parents? How can I protect my neighbors uh, that might be in a vulnerable group? And we, since we don't have a vaccine, we don't have a medication, the one thing that we can do is try to limit the number of people that have this virus in order to decrease the chance that they get it. Uh, and so I, I think that's, that's the strategy behind that. Uh, and, and I think the nice, I, I think that with populations of people that are in the 80%, uh, that tend to be the younger and the healthier, um, we may not be as worried about it getting ourselves, but we do not want, we want to try and decrease the chance of us being the vector or the trend, the people that transmit it to the other people. And that's where I feel like that's our civic duty. Uh, and I think that's gotcha. where we can really help, uh, our, our public health efforts. Okay, so I think that's a really important point for us to grasp, that we, uh, as you pointed out to me over breakfast, uh, as a, as a sub-demographic of our city, uh, our church skews young. We're a younger congregation. We have uh, older and elderly church members, but but as a, as a center of mass, we tilt young, and so does Denver. Uh, the, the, the primary threat, it seems, it may not be to our demographic in terms of, of mortality, but it may be rather that we would be un, unintentional transmitters or propagators right. of the virus. Uh, I think as I've understood it, and, and as you explained to me um, previously, that's a lot of the rationale behind closing schools, that kids, uh, and I'd love for you to speak to this, uh, are, are at the lowest risk uh, in terms of their own personal health, but are, are higher risk in terms of propagating the virus because they're maybe less attentive to hygiene and to putting their hands in their mouths, et cetera. And so what we're aiming to do, in addition to keeping kids safe, is to minimizing propagation or to flattening that curve. Is that, is that right? Am I thinking clearly about this? That's right. The kids that tend to get, that they get coronavirus tend to have milder disease. Um, but if they're going to have... Um, if they're going to be getting coronavirus and spreading around, it just puts our higher risk individuals uh, at higher likelihood of getting the infection. And so our, our, our pausing in, in our large public gatherings is akin to closing schools. Right. We're trying to be responsible, participate with uh, our city and, and respond to the civil government uh, and, and health authorities. 
and lower, flatten that curve or lower that spike uh, so that we don't overwhelm our emergency uh, response and care facilities uh, and testing capacity. Right. Um, you mentioned higher risk and lower risk uh, portions of the populace. Um, if kids are at the lower risk end, who would be at the higher risk? So it's the it's the folks that are that are seniors, sixty five and older, those that have got chronic medical problems, people that smoke. There was a thought that men uh, were at higher risk than women. Uh, I think that as we start to look at other countries besides China, uh, then we'll uh, have a better idea. We do know that men in China do tend to smoke uh, more than women, uh, and so that may be the confounding factor. Uh, but that's the population that we're thinking about that's at higher risk. Um, we do also um, want to make sure that we're uh, being mindful of um, people that are at lower risk. If we are, are sick with things like a cold or a flu that may not be coronavirus, um, it may be hard to distinguish them. Uh, so we may think we just have a cold or the flu. Um, one thing that we can do is we can stay home. Uh, we can wear a mask because when you cough into a mask, it tends to uh, have those particles stay right there rather than being transmitted several feet away. And, and if we do our part by staying home and doing our, our so, social distancing, we can then help minimize the spread. And that's also similar to trying to close down schools and closing down the church uh, for the large group gatherings. Okay, a couple of follow-up questions on that. That's good practical coaching. Um, there is some, there's some to... Uh, disagreement about masks out there, the the higher uh, functioning masks that are more expensive and more specialized uh, are, are sold out on Amazon, for example. And do you share with me that that's actually doing a disservice to the public health because those that, that need them uh, in the response community are less able to get them? Uh, is it helpful for us as individuals to go get a, a, a high-performing mask? Should we wear a mask if we're not sick? We watch in Asian cultures on the news where that's kind of part of the daily life. Or should we get a mask if we are finding ourselves sick for any reason? And then if so, what kind of mask? Is the little mask that you get at Home Depot, you know, that keeps you from breathing in dust um, sufficient to catch those particles? Can you give us some, yeah. some practical coaching on that? So the latter is correct. So if you are sick and you're going to be around other people that are not sick, particularly in your house, and you're coughing and sneezing, then it is a good idea to wear a mask in order to prevent that droplet spread. For patients, for people that do not have symptoms, wearing a mask around has not been found to be helpful. And the reason for that is, is because the droplets tend to be uh, spread throughout the air and the seal on those types of routine masks that you get at, uh, at a pharmacy or a grocery store is not very tight. And so those droplets easily get around. And the thought is, is oftentimes when you have a mask on, you tend to touch your face more right. frequently and you might be accidentally inoculating or giving yourself those uh, gotcha. droplets. Okay, so the idea of a mask is simple, over-the-counter rather than specialized. And if you're already seeing any kind of sickness symptoms to contain the, the droplets or particles rather than thinking that we're going to seal ourselves off and, and prevent uh, inhaling them. That's right. Super helpful. Um, you, you mentioned testing. Right now, there is a, a sort of run on the test facility. Uh, it was moved yesterday from uh in colorado from 
Lowry to uh, the Coliseum in in the north side of downtown Denver uh, because of um, a, a more sustainable location with regard to the weather. Um, but those facilities have experienced long waits and uh, are being overwhelmed by people who understandably are afraid. So who should get tested? Who can get tested? And if so, uh, how do you go about that? That's right. So uh, there are limited supplies in terms of testing. And so the um, Colorado uh, Department of Public Health and Environment has uh, made specific criteria of who they will allow to be tested. And so that's really any person uh, that has had close contact with a person that has confirmed uh, COVID-19 within the last 14 days, and they have those symptoms of fever or cough or shortness of breath. So that's the first one. Uh, and, and really, in, in all these categories, it's anybody that has those symptoms plus uh, one of the epidemiologic factors, or have they had recent travel to one of those countries where uh, they have been having lots of transmissions, such as China, uh, Italy, uh, Iran, any person that's hospitalized. Uh, so that means if they're going to the hospital and if they're having those symptoms, they'll automatically get tested at the okay. hospital. Uh, if people have those symptoms and are living in a nursing home, so they're at higher risk, uh, this is one that really pertains to my practice, is that any healthcare worker who has been around anyone that has had any of these symptoms for the last 14 days, which is pretty much every healthcare worker. And <laughs> right. if you get fever, cough, and shortness of breath. And so that means really any healthcare worker that gets fever, cough, or congestion, they're needing to get tested, uh, which is a significant change from even just a couple of days ago. And that's really relevant to our, our uh, doctors, nurses, and, and other healthcare providers in our congregation. That's right. Now, the other, there's, there's a couple more, uh, and this one is um, uh, for those that, are, that have chronic illnesses like diabetes, lung problems, and if they have got some symptoms, they should be tested. Uh, and then the last one is anybody that is in a cluster uh, of illness or any person that's a member of a group with multiple symptomatic individuals that is currently being investigated and they've got symptoms that group should also be tested. Now, we are have, having some difficulty sending these patients to get tested, and they're having some difficulty getting tested. And I'm hoping that as we get more resources, we're going to be able to get all of those people tested uh, in an expeditious uh, timeline. Now, is part of the difficulty in the higher-risk uh, individuals who need to be tested actually being able to be tested because... Um, uh, of an overrun at the testing facilities uh, out of people's caution or fear. Um, and, and if so, what do we do about that? Uh, I, let, me, let me rephrase the question. I heard you say, tell me if I'm wrong, that the people that should and can right now be tested would be if you're showing the symptoms plus you have another environmental or circumstantial exposure. risk factor. Yeah. Exposure, underlying health, age, um, living equation or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're just feeling cold symptoms, uh, am I hearing you say correctly, you're not going to get tested, so maybe don't go to the testing facility and gum up the works so that those who really need to be tested are unable to get through? That's right. And the other thing is, is that don't go and show up at your doctor's office. Well, that's we don't want. I mean, didn't you say they should go and show up at your house? They should. They they should come right to your house <laughs> at two in the morning. Yeah, uh, and um, but call first. Uh, okay. So then you'll get triaged over the phone, 
and then they'll say, okay, this is what you need to do. And then they'll let you, uh, they can get you an order. Uh, they can email you an order so that you can go to the drive-through uh, testing facility at the Coliseum. Okay, so is this right? Um, from what you just said, here's what I heard. If you're feeling symptoms don't show up at the Coliseum, you're not going to get tested and right. you're going to worsen the problem. You're going to unflatten the curve, right? If you're feeling symptoms, don't show up at your doctor's office. Call your doctor's office. That's that right? right. Call your doctor's office and then you get an order uh, or a referral to be tested and then you go to the testing center. That's the right process. Yes. Okay, so if you're feeling symptoms, that's important. Call your doctor and then get a testing order or receive the counsel from your doctor and then go to the testing facility. As of right now, that's the, that's the best practice in the medical community. And that's important for us to know for ourselves and our families, as well as to be able to speak good sense into the, the, um, the chaos of the public discourse right now. Yeah. This is equipping God's people not only to live well, but to influence our city uh, for good. And they may also tell you that you don't meet criteria so that you don't unnecessarily go to the Denver Coliseum and then you waste your time and not get tested. Uh, and so, so they may say, you know, you are at low risk, but you still do have these symptoms. Please stay home, wear a mask, wash your hands, don't touch your face, uh, and, uh, and wait it out until you're better. Gotcha. Okay, we, you mentioned the concept right now that it, uh, of social distancing, and this is the, the best practice that's being advised. I confess that um, as, a, as a, a follower of Jesus and a leader in, our, in, a, in the faith community, that concept is a little bit uh, confusing or even a little distasteful of social distancing. Uh, and yet there is good sense and practical wisdom behind it. So what does that look like for us? Is all social distancing the same? You mentioned um, that there are different concentrations of, of the pandemic in different states. And so social distancing maybe looks different um, based on that context. North Dakota or Wyoming, where there's one case, there's a certain degree of social distance. Your practice extends to the state of Washington, where you oversee a number of physicians who are who are experiencing a very different version of COVID-19. Yeah. Um, and then Colorado, where are we in that spectrum? And what does that mean for us as far as how, uh, how we understand social distancing right now? Yeah, and I think that we always needed the principle that we want to take care of one another. And so if, if, I, if how I can take care of you is by preventing you from getting the coronavirus and preventing your family or preventing my family, then, um, then we need to really be keeping that in mind. And so what we can do is take a look at uh, how many cases are there in any specific community. And so if you're in a, in a location where there's zero in the state, uh, I think that is a very different scenario than being in uh, the Life Center nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, uh, whereas you're going to have a very different threshold for social distancing. And so I think that in every scenario, we're going to be making some important judgment calls. Now, that being said is, is there are certain uh, social distancing mandates that are coming from our public health departments and states uh, that are trying to flatten that curve and are, and are trying to help us. In some places, they've already mandated, hey, we're not going to have any gatherings of more than 250 people in the whole state. Uh, and, uh, and that makes sense in some locations, and it wouldn't make sense in other places. Now, that being said, is we also need to make sure that we're living by faith and trusting in God and taking care of people. And that might mean 
that we're going to be ministering to our neighbors and we're going to be taking care of those people in our church. Uh, and people are going to be going through depression and, and anxiety, and they're going to need people in their lives speaking over them and praying for them and spending time with them. And, and, and so we need to really temper our social distancing with also our responsibility as believers to care for the flock. I love that thought, and I wanted to, I'm going to probe you a little bit more on how those two might not be at odds, mm. uh, caring for one another, being the hands of Jesus to a hurting community, and supporting each other in the family of God, uh, while practicing and observing um, the, the best practice that we know and are being advised uh, with regard to, um, to managing and stemming the spread of this pandemic. Um, how could we observe social distancing and still, like, say, care for our neighbor? Yeah. Well, yeah. Just for instance, for for my neighbor, who she um, she's o- over sixty five and she does have emphysema, uh, and and so we we had her over for dinner uh, a couple of days ago, and she was really worried about going to the grocery store, and so we just said, you know what, I totally get it. You know, she's at higher risk. Uh, and we just said, you know, if you need anything from the grocery store, just text me. And when, when we're at the grocery store, we'll we'll pick it up for you. Uh, and so that just decreases her exposure to other uh, other people. I mean, we'll wash our hands and make sure that we're going to minimize, you know, our contact with her. Uh, but I think that's one way that we can help serve our neighbors and minister to them uh, and see what their needs are. And I think she was really comforted by the fact that she doesn't need to go to the grocery store for the next few weeks. What a practical, simple, and beautiful expression of spirit and truth, balancing um, the ideals of, of caring for, loving our neighbor, and the conventional wisdom of practicing social distance, uh, blending those two. And that's something that every one of us can do. Every one of us has a neighbor um, and probably within our neighborhood has somebody who would be in the more vulnerable portion of the population. Uh, and so to be able to reach out with a phone call and and ask, how can I help? Yeah, I, I think um, that is something that uh, our family has been praying about, like how in the midst of, of being in isolation, now that our our school is going to be closed down for the next couple of weeks. How can we be more isolated yet also be in community? Uh, and I think we're still trying to figure that out um, and and try to figure out how can we help the people that are right around us. Um, and I know that there is a, um, uh, a card that has been developed. Yeah, uh, our your friendly neighborhood <laughs> creative director, Lindsay, uh, as she was listening to this conversation in pre-production, came up with a little uh, a little ministry resource that we'll put out digitally to you along with this podcast uh, that you can download and print on your computer. Um, and and it, it, it simply facilitates that. Yeah. You want to so, talk us through this? Well, I like it because it's, it's, it's two things. One, it's also... Uh, it's taking care of people with their their particular needs, but it also is really an invitation to relationship uh, and and really the beginning of, of of ministry. It just feels like how Jesus would minister to people. It says, just a little note to say hello. It's quite an interesting time. I just wanted to check in to see if you need help uh, with getting prescriptions filled or something extra being bought from a shop. 
I know that uh, most people have uh, transport where we live, uh, but if you need to stay indoors this time or at a higher risk, we completely understand and want you to remain healthy. We're happy to help you access what you need. So I really think this is, is spot on. Beautiful. Uh, what a practical <clears throat> expression of the love of Jesus and the mandate uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I love that it doesn't say, hello, we'd be happy to pick up your groceries, and would you like to bow at the foot of the cross? It's simply Jesus. It's the gospel in action. And then as the dust settles and the particles fall to the ground, our congregation, Jesus' followers, are going to look in our community. We're going to look more like Jesus. And that relationship and that influence lasts. That's right. So um, so I think that when we're li- thinking about our principles of, of, of living by faith, trusting in God, being good stewards, caring for one another, being prudent, uh, I think there is this, this blend of social distancing, yet also... Uh, coming alongside, you know, one thing, one reason why I love being a physician is that when people come to me, they're usually in a place where they're interested in more spiritual topics. Right. And and I've just found that when we meet people at their time of need, that people are more open to hearing the gospel. And, uh, and I just love the fact that God opens doors and there's divine appointments. Uh, and we're always praying, God, how can you use me, you know, in this time? And, and, and I think this is a time where we can start asking, God, how can you use me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, Dave, thank you for coaching us, for, for shepherding and pastoring us and, uh, with the, the specific um, knowledge and, and position of influence that you have. And thanks for modeling this and being the real thing. Um, as we prepare to sign off, would you pray for us in this? Absolutely. Father, we thank you for... Um, we thank you that you are a wonderful God, that you're powerful, and you can do much more than we can ask or imagine. And God, we pray uh, for our congregation, uh, for our country, for our world in the midst of a coronavirus pandemic. And God, we pray that you would be moving in a mighty way. We, um, we thank you that you are also the God of all comfort uh, and that you know what we need. Uh, and I pray that you would guide us, uh, that you would be our hands and feet. Uh, I pray that you would be bringing in divine appointments. We pray also for protection, uh, and we also pray for healing. Thank you, Lord. We, um, we love you, uh, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Dr. Dave, thank you for taking time in the midst of such a demanding season for you uh, to encourage and sharpen us. That'll do it for the inaugural edition of this Denver United Leadership Podcast series. God bless you all. Love you.